Okay, so good morning and thanks for coming. <laughs> <If you. laughs> That's nice to have you here. Um, so according to the, home, uh, to the omen quoted here, the consequences of a miscarriage in the first millennium city of Uruk in uh, present-day southern Iraq were disastrous, not just for the individual woman, but for the whole country. But how could this be? And what were the repercussions for the family of the stillborn children? The omen quoted above is far from unique. It belongs to a large catalogue written in the Akkadian language which contains more than 2,000 omens in the first millennium BC that were distributed over 24 tablets of chapters. All of them are related to extraordinary birth, both human and animal, viable or not. The ancient scribes who copied down this catalogue on clay tablets for over two millennia called it Chuma Izbu in Akkadian, if a monster. All omens are structured uh, on the same format. In the same format, the first clause, protasis, begins with the word shuma, if, and describes the ominous occurrence. The second clause, apodosis, predicts the future events which follow. This paper will argue that the structure of the series, where the second clause can be understood as the consequence of the if clause, may provide us with useful insights of the, on the perceptions and understanding of miscarriages in ancient Mesopotamia. The example quoted here thus indicates that a miscarriage could affect the whole kingdom and not merely the family. Eventually, a closer look at the series, specifically at the tablet one, clearly shows that the consequences of an abortion of the birth or the birth of a severe, disabled child bear upon the king and the country in great majority of cases and not upon the family. It is also worth pointing out that the mother of the child is mentioned only three times in the apodosis of tablet one, as if such an event would not affect her at all. Hence, a miscarriage was understood as a social, almost political event, but seems to have been separated from the private sphere of the household. Considering that pregnancy and birth are, from our modern point of view, a private matter, how come that there are no more apodosis in the series Shuma Izbu, dealing with the family, the mother, or the future of the child himself, if he is alive but badly disabled? The answer to this question partly lies in the understanding of reproduction. Pregnant women enter the public domain by virtue of their pregnancy, so that pregnancy appears as the fulfillment of social obligations, not only to the family, but also to the community. It looks as if in ancient Mesopotamia, a miscarriage was also seen as a disruption in a social and cultural continuation, so that the consequences were thought to affect not only the household when the children was born, but also the city, even the whole country. But this, this statement then raises another, almost opposite question. If miscarriages are thus understood, how can we explain that some apodoses are dealing with the family? Despite a few exceptions, I noted a pattern in the first tablet of the series. The consequences of a miscarriage or the birth of a mortally disabled child impact on the king, the country, or the city. By contrast, when the child is viable, the consequences strike the family or the home of the baby. I shall provide here many examples of this pattern. I will first introduce the series Shuma Izbu and explain some specificities of the divinatory series that raise some methodological issues as for the use of such sources, such sources sorry, to answer these questions. 
Second, I will display examples of the pattern by reading through tablet one and the topics it deals with. It seems to me essential to go through whole tablet one, even if not all depicted uh, situations were miscarriages, to allow a comparative point of view to better determine the suggested pattern. I will also come back on some of the exceptions and see if we may offer an explanation for them that could allow to better determine the uh, pattern. And if there is some time left, I will say a few words about this pattern in the next three tablets of the series. So first, what is uh, Shuma Izbu? Uh, every event of the daily life in uh, ancient Mesopotamia, from the most uh, insignificant uh, ones to the most extraordinary ones, was regarded as a sign sent by the gods. For this reason, divination that enables human beings to understand those divine messages was essential in Mesopotamian cultures and society. Mesopotamians developed two kinds of divination. On the one hand, they had various techniques for asking a question to a god and evoking a response. This is impetrated divination or solicited omens. And its most well-known and widespread form is extispici, that is the examination of the liver or innards of sacrificial animal, uh, mostly sheep, to get an answer to an accurate question. On the other hand, Mesopotamians were paying attention to all phenomena that were happening around them, from the, black, from the black cat crossing the road to meteor showers. Those were unsolicited omens. Because those phenomena were messages from the gods, the Mesopotamians needed to understand them in order to counteract the potential evil consequences. Indeed, there was no sense of fatalism in Mesopotamian divination. On the contrary, all predicted events could be obviated through the appropriate ritual. The messages of the gods were regarded as warning rather than decrees. To make sure they properly understand and remember from one generation to the next the significance of those numberless messages, diviners recorded them carefully, classified them according to the kind of phenomenon that were observed, celestial, terrestrial, meteorological, etc., in large catalogues that we now call divinatory series. So here is an example of the, one of the tablets on which those catalogues were written. And of course, on the end out, the uh, cuneiform text is one of those catalogues, of course. So those catalogues uh, were copied down over, for over two millennia under the form of extensive lists of omens, as you can see, that each count several hundred omens, even several thousands for some of them. Given the importance of divination in ancient Mesopotamia, divinatory series are now one of the most widespread genres in Mesopotamian literatures. Shuma Izbu is one of these catalogues, aiming at recording all possible bizarre births. The work of compilation started as early as in the first half of the second millennium. The oldest catalogue of the series Shuma Izbu, for instance, dates from the old Babylonian period. Um, it has gradually expanding during the, the second half of the second millennium in Babylonia and eventually became widespread in the new Assyrian period in 8th and 7th century BC. The most extensive and complete manuscripts of the series Shuma Izbu dates from this period and have been found in, the new Assyrian, in one of the new Assyrian capitals, Nineveh. 
Yet the fall of Nineveh did not spell the end of the divinatory series. Neo-Babylonian, then Achaemenid, then finally Seleucid scribes, went on copying down divinatory series. Thus, the most recent manuscripts of Shumaizbu date from the Seleucid period and have been found in the city of Uruk. So now the, those sources, of course, raises some problems if we consider to use them from, uh, with, to offer a social or anthropological interpretation. As stated in the introduction, the format of all omens is the same, that is, a conditional clause. Yet those should not be understood, as quoted here, as a series of observation statements about what particular event in fact occurred following another particular event, but rather as a series of hypothetical statements showing that P indicates Q. Because of this specificity, uh, the, a catalogue of omens firstly gives its author the opportunity to explore all possible situations. This clearly appears in the process of systematization and serializations that rules the composition of divinatory series. There are, of, for instance, some antagonistic principles. The most common is the uh, one, the left-right opposition. When a phenomenon is observed on the right, the same phenomenon will occur on the left, leading in the great majority of cases, but not systematically, to the opposite consequence, positive or negative. Another essential systematization, particularly in the series Shumaizbu, is the male-female opposition. The scribes also offer some sets of colors or animals and suggest chains of numbers. For instance, in the case of miscarriages, if the product of an abortion resembles a lion, it will next resemble a wolf, a dog, a snake, a monkey, a frog, a mouse, etc. So this is the, the first omens of the series. And finally, if a mother gives birth to twins, then the children will be three, four, five, six, seven, finally one not eight or nine. Uh, the systematization and serialization thus imply that not all, if none, not none of all, omens described phenomena were plausible situations or observed ones. And such catalogues was probably not the aims of the Mesopotamian scribes. Thus, the situations depicted in the protheses of Shumaizbu may hardly be understood as statements of real medical cases, and it is surely not the aim of this paper to match the deformities described here with contemporary medical cases. Second, because the relation between the protheses and the apotheosis is not based upon the link between an observed situation and an eventual other situation that would ensue for it, the link between both clauses is much more complex and implies a wide range of tools that the scribes were using. The divinatory series were composed according to a complex mix of word plays, both semantic and homophonic. It is not rare, for instance, that scribes use uh, rhyming or juxtapositions of similarly sounding words. It is also possible that the same verb would occur in both clauses with different meanings or that synonyms were employed. The scribes also played with the many opportunities offered by the writing system. The same sign could be read as word or a sound and as both it could have many different readings. They could thus use the same logogram in both clauses with a different reading thus meaning. But the end of this paper is not, is not to explain the divinatory apparatus from a linguistic point of view, as long as we consider the sphere impacted. It appears that the study of the lexical and semantic clicks between the protheses and apotheosis is secondary, in the sense that, in both cases, 
Similar graphic, semantic, or homophonic links may be established between the clauses, but the apodosis deal with the private or the public sphere. Thus, this kind of link, according to us, do not apply to the sphere chosen in the apodosis. There are other possible links between prososes and apodosis when one considers the sphere impacted in the apodosis as suggested in the introduction. The question of who might be affected by a nomen was a serious matter, and it was apparently one of the first issues addressed by the expert. Strangely, though, this issue has never been addressed to the series Shuma Isbu, despite a large number of omens distributed between private and public spheres compared to other divinatory series. From this point of view, a plausible or and an impossible omen are all the same. For instance, if the birth of a two-headed baby is possible or ever occurs, then, according to their reasoning, the birth of a four-headed baby was, has to be considered, just in case. But what matters is that in both cases, the baby will die, so that the consequences of such a birth, as for the sphere impacted, will be similar. The question then raised is why choosing why one or the other domains, private or public, in some circumstances. Is this random, or is this choice as systematized and well thought as other links that appears in the series Shumaizbu? I doubt that such an issue would have remained purposeless, given the set of other rules and principles that dictate the composition of this series, both horizontally and vertically. The aim of this paper is to try to determine some consistency in this choice and see whether it is relevant or not to better understand the significance of miscarriages in the Mesopotamian societies. So, <clears throat> Shuma Izbu, let's go to the tablet one now. Uh, Shuma Izbu may be regarded as the Babylonian teratomosi, as I said. All omens are related to extraordinary birth. Uh, both human and uh, uh, animals, viable or not. Only the first four tablets consider human birth. They were subtitled by the scribes if a woman is pregnant and her fetus cries, thus clearly distinguished for the, from the other tablets and formed a kind, um, formed a kind of sub-series. The situation described in the Eve clause are very diverse and could be classified into four main categories according to our modern criteria. Miscarriages, birth of monster or disabled children, uh, more than 100 omens in the first four tablets list a wide range of abnormalities from the most genuine one, a baby with six toes or fingers, for instance, to obviously deadly ones, a baby with no head or five of them. Uh, genuine birthmarks and multiple, multiple births, twins, triplets, Siamese twins, etc. Uh, probably because of its preeminence, Tablet 1 is slightly different from the following ones, in the sense that the cases described in the protases are more diversified than in other tablets. Tablet 1s may be roughly divided into five main sections, so men dealing with cases observed during pregnancy, miscarriages during early stage of pregnancy, pregnancy carried to full term but stillborn children, uh, stillborn or disabled children, and gemellary and multiple births. By contrast, the situations depicted in tablets 2-4 that also deal with human births only focused on stillborn, disabled, or malformed children. That is when pregnancy, in, in, most, case, in most cases apparently, is carried to full term. 
Tablet 1 counts in all 131 omens. It is known from 19 distinct manuscripts dating from the first millennium BC coming from all over Mesopotamia. The most complete ones are a new Assyrian one uh, from Nineveh in, and an Achaemenid, an Achaemenid one, the, this is your handout, from Uruk. Uh, we will menu you, we, I will menu, I will mainly use here uh, the manuscript from Uruk and its numbering for both the omens and the lines. It is the mon- most complete manuscript, even though ten omens are missing at the very end of the obverse, as you can see in the handout. Um, no lexical distinction is made between a miscarriage or the birth of uh, stillborn children in, uh, in uh, this, uh, this text, or a disabled one. The verb used in the protasis is always the same. Waladum in Akkadian, which means uh, to give birth to. While the verb, which means to abort in other contexts, nadum, is not used here. The lexical uniformization is probably due to the specificity of an omen series in itself. Yet, if not the case, we could assume that the fetus was recognized as a lively, lively things, rather than talking about a human being, quite early during pregnancy. And especially that pregnant status was assigned quite early as well during pregnancy, which would be quite exceptional in traditional societies, but well. But surely the evidence are too few at this stage to, of the research to assert this assumption. But I believe the question needs to be asked. Um, the distribution of the apodosis uh, according to the sphere they, accept, they, they affect in this tablet one, public or private, is as follows. 70 omens mention the destiny of the king or the country, 28 mention the fate of the household, 17 consider the situation for both the kingdom and the family. And finally, the, the classification of 12 of them remain difficult because of the problems of interpretations. As one can, can see, the discrepancy between both spheres is notable, with a large majority of apodosis considering the fate of the king and the country. But what is all the, all the more noticeable is the reversal of the distribution of omens between both spheres, between the second and the third sections. So you can see it, which uh, uh, the second and the fourth sections, sorry. Um, 32 omens after, out of 42 bear upon the king and the country in the second section, while only nine, nine omens out of 32 in the, in the fourth section uh, bears, out, bears upon the king. I believe this ratio and this reversal is meaningful, as we will see. There are, of course, exceptions to the rule mentioned above, to the rule, well, quote, mentionable in both sections. There also are omens uh, which consequences deal with both the public and private spheres. But by sorting out the omen section by section, I hope to give to first to first give nice examples of the pattern, then try to provide an explanation for some of the exceptions, mainly through some of the other features that dictate the composition of divinatory series. So let's see first what the apodosis tell us about uh, the private sphere, so that you can have an idea of what kind of information we have for the consequences of uh, miscarriage. So, the, so I took the example of the private sphere that is a priori the, the one uh, which interests uh, the most uh, uh, given the topic. 
So the old hypotheses are very brief statements. They are not accurate or circumstantial. For instance, they will not tell us about a mother's health or feelings or the fate after a miscarriage. It is also not worthy, if you don't know the kind of text we're dealing with, that the great majority of omens are negative ones. There are only eight positive omens <coughs> related to the household phrased with five different expressions. This has nothing to do with the topic. Negative omens are large, largely preponderant in all divinatory series, Isbu included. And I don't think, so I don't think the opposition negative positive is significant here to better understand the meanings of the omens from a sociological point of view. Second, the expression used in uh, the apodosis are not very diversified. Most of them may be classified into what Assyriologists usually call stock apodosis, after the suggestion of uh, Earl Lichty, who first published the, uh, the, the series Shuma Isbu. By stock apodosis, we understand an apodosis which has a standard form and seems to be independent of the protosis. Such apodosis are recurrent through, through all types of omens. The author then quotes two typical examples: the land of the prince, of the prince, I quote here, the land of the prince, with variants, house, house, Oxford, prince's land, etc., will expand, or the land will be scattered with the same variants. The man's household will be scattered, for instance. It is very true that some expressions, amongst which those quoted by Lichty, are recurrent not only in the series Shumaizbu, but also in other divinatory series. However, it has now been demonstrated, at least for the series Shumaizbu, that there were more links between protosis and apodosis, even for stock apodosis, than what first thought. Furthermore, we hopefully will demonstrate here that the choices between what Erlichti called the variance concerning the sphere, for instance the choice between the prince or the man, is not as random as the scholar first seemed to believe. Uh, the stock apodosis, the stock apodosis used to describe the consequences on, on the private sphere is the man's household will be scattered. So that's the one we, that is used uh, all the time. And uh, this, uh, this apodosis appears no less than 18 times uh, in the series out of 32 omens dealing with the private uh, sphere. So that's really the one. And then we can have, the, so you have here the, the negative and the positive. Of course, as you can see, the positive is, is mentioned only once. Then we have some variants on this scattered uh, with the, the verbs grow larger, thrive, diminish, increase, prosper, and so on. All those expressions are also quite uh, common in, uh, in all divinatory series and not specific on, uh, for Isbu, uh, except actually the very last one here, where it is uh, the anstem form of the verb Ishiru that is uh, quoted here, and uh, which is quite rare in uh, the Omen series. Uh, and finally, there are some expressions that are not find, found uh, very often in Omen series in general. And so those ones would be original also for the series uh, Shuma Isbu. Uh, so the, uh, the, uh, the interpretation of... Uh, 
Yes, the, the Omen 62 is really under debate because, as you can see, the uh, that house will will be brought to want through something. This is because the logogram employed here has uh, several uh, many many different readings, and it is actually quite difficult to decide uh, which meaning to uh, to choose in this situation. Well, I have an idea. We can come back on this later if you want, if you have questions. But no, maybe just not uh, right now. Um, and also, which is t the one which is interesting is also the one with uh, Adad, the mention of Adad, because this god, the the, the god of uh, of storm, is. Uh, is, is of very often mentioned in the Omen series, but uh, usually is devastating uh, the palace, the country, the land, the city, etc., etc., but very rarely just one miserable little house. So this is also quite uh, unexpected here. Um, so as you can see, the, the, the word that referred to the private sphere in the series Sumaizbu in the great majority of cases is the word B2, uh, which, is, which can be translated by both house or household. So this is how they referred to the, uh, the family sphere, as would say, I would say. By contrast, the members of the family are very few, uh, very few mentioned, very rarely mentioned. So here are the mention of the father. So as you can see, the word father itself is used only once with a direct reference to the, uh, to the, the, the monster. Its father will die. Uh, and otherwise, it is that man or the owner of the house or, uh, yes, the house is owner, which is the thing. And so uh, this is, uh, this is uh, usually, yes, the father is not mentioned. So are the parents mentioned in three omens? Possibility, uh, but it is uh, here again. It could be husband and wife in general, and not just the husband and wife in the family where the monster is born. And uh, the mother, well, the mother is mentioned only three times, as I said, the poor one. And of course, you can see that she dies, or she has uh, committed a sin, basically, because she uh, she has committed adultery. So this omen is actually very interesting, and I will come back to it because it is the one that is uh, totally different from all the rest of the omens quoted in this series. And, and so, apart from uh, that, you have the Brotherhood. There is only one omen uh, which mentions uh, the rest of the, chi the, the children, and it is actually the one which also mentioned the father, so the whole apodosis is here, its father will die, and his sons will not agree with one another. So this is actually only one omen that mentioned the whole family. And there is also the lineage, which is mentioned only once, uh, by times for the house of their father. So I understand it as uh, the ancestorship and so on. Uh, so this is quite unexpected here, because in... In many, uh, as I, according to what I read so far, in, in many uh, other traditional societies, uh, the, the miscarriages are quite related to the problems linked with ancestorship and so on. Usually it's because there is, well, sometimes it's because there is a problem with the ancestor, with the relationship with the ancestor, that there is a miscarriage in the house. And here, uh, for the Mesopotamian, it looks as if, well, according to the topics in, in uh, the, the, the uh, 
that we have in the apodosis, it looks as if uh, this, the lineage and the ancestorship is not that important uh, relate, in relation with the miscarriage. So this is, I think, uh, quite uh, an interesting uh, aspect. So, as you can see, the, uh, the, the, the apodoses do not tell us that much information. So, this is why I think the, the most interesting is uh, this uh, pattern I told about so far. So, now if we go through the. Uh, the oh, sorry, yeah, let's. Yeah, for the, because for the first uh, section of the tablets, I will just ask you to, to refer to the, um, uh, to the, to the handout uh, I gave you because it's, uh, it's quite easy to follow this way. So the, the first section, we'll just come back to this maybe. Uh, yes, here just to, to do so that you know where we are. Um, so the, the first section is the omen 1-4. As I said, describes situations during the pregnancy. Um, more specifically, uh, cases in which the, fe the fetus uh, makes noise in the womb, uh, crying, sighing, mourning, shouting. Uh, consequences are all bad, of course, and bears upon both the country for the omen three, one and three, and the man's house for the omen uh, number two. The last omen gives us an interesting detail uh, if someone hears it, so, uh, which uh, means the problem encountered during the pregnancy was not confined in the realm of the house and the close family, but uh, that present, a private publication, uh, a private situation became uh, public here. Uh, so the uh, apodosis then affects both the kingdom and the household. So maybe because this is maybe uh, because of the specification of uh, the, the protesis, uh, as if the family was also affected because the matter was not kept private. So I think here there is something nice that is telling is told to us, but unfortunately we don't have enough evidence to uh, to go on uh, with this uh, this aspect. Uh, the second section, so um, uh, 5 to uh, 43, uh, is surely the one that could interest us the most here as it obviously deals with miscarriages that probably occur during the early stage of pregnancy. Uh, it is, however, difficult to, uh, to be more specific as no information at all is given about the length of the pregnancy before the spontaneous abortion. Uh, abortion. Um, Yet uh, this fact, uh, the fact that it, the miscarriages uh, happen during uh, the early stages of pregnancy seems obvious from the list of things that are given in the protases as none of them as a human shape. Uh, and some of the images employed here to approximately describe the products of uh, spontaneous abortions are also used in other traditional societies to describe some exposed fetus, as we will see. Uh, the section uh, um, in itself may be uh, divided into uh, two further sections. Uh, the um, omens uh, 5 to 18 first. Uh, so in this omen 5 to 18, the woman gives birth uh, to something obviously not viable that looks like an animal. 
So in this subsection, 14 different animals are mentioned. Uh, this list in itself is very common uh, of the Mesopotamian scholarly tradition and uh, is the best example in this tablet of the serialization I mentioned before. Um, similar lists, uh, both in their content and their ordering, may be found elsewhere, elsewhere in Mesopotamian tradition, both in lexical text and other Oman series. Uh, the only unexpected element in this list is the presence of a supernatural creature, the bull of Shamash, in uh, the Omen 10. Um, so it does not matter for our purpose whether the semis of these sections are plausible or not from a medical point of view. Rather, more essential to note that the list belongs to the Mesopotamian scholarly tradition and is probably provided as such by the Mesopotamian scribes. Uh, moreover, the a comparison of an exposed fetus with an animal is also used in other societies, so it's absolutely not uh, unusual. Uh, in Jamaica, for instance, there are mention of babies resembling monkeys or frogs, or even a cow's head and so on, lizards, snakes, and we find all kinds of animals. So out of those, uh, as for the pattern I mentioned, as out of those 14 omens, only two apodoses mention the man's house, which will be scattered. Uh, in, bo in, uh, in both cases, it is in uh, uh, paragraph uh, omen 16, sorry, and 18. The woman is respectively, respectively giving birth to a snake and a kind of turtle, Shirepu. Uh, uh, one other apodosis bears upon the man's house and the land when a woman gave birth to a dog. The next 11 apodosis mention the destiny of the king of the land, so as you can see, a very large majority. Unfortunately, I don't can provide uh, explanations for the uh, exceptions here, I'm afraid. Um, so the, uh, the, 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 sub, the next subsection sub is uh, the Romans 19 to 43. Um, so this Omen 19 to 43 is surely the most enigmatic uh, sep section of the tablet, uh, at least for us. It has to be noted that this subsection uh, seems to us so disarrayed that some scholars actually try to reorganize it according to what they thought should be the logical Mesopotamian ordering, uh, thus indirectly implying the ineptitude of the poor, ignorant Mesopotamian scribe who didn't know his topic. Um, so the woman is uh, give birth here to a wide range of things, from an egg to goat's horns, so clay, even a vein covered with hair. And obviously none of these things are viable, just as the animals mentioned above. And they, mostly and they most probably describe cases of spontaneous abortion in early pregnancy. Uh, but apart from this observation, few things may be added if we take into consideration our modern medical criteria. Yet uh, some of the semis mentioned here uh, refer, uh, seems to refer to the product of spontaneous, well, some, sorry, some of the semis mentioned here uh, make sense when we consider them in the Mesopotamian cultural background. For instance, in the uh, Omen 23, a woman is giving birth to fish roe. Uh, this image for the fetus in the womb may come from the Sumerian culture, where the fetus in the womb is sometimes compared to a fish. 
and it is notable that one of the names of the mother goddess uh, is actually literally uh, mother lady of the fish row. Uh, clay, which is mentioned in Omen 43, is another metamor- metaphor to uh, refer to the, fe- uh, to the fetus. And it is famous well that uh, human beings are made of clay, according to some Mesopotamian myth. Uh, as is famously, famously the case in other cultures, of course. So was, what is rejected here from the Mesopotamian point of view is actually one of the material used in, making, in the making of a human being. And the same may be suggested for the mention of the bricks uh, in the uh, new Assyrian version. Also, interestingly, uh, the finger, which is mentioned... Uh, I don't remember what well, there is a finger... The finger, which is on the uh, yes, uh, the omen twenty six, uh, is uh, actually according to a Seleucid text from Uruk, is used as a unit of measure of the fetus, so that here it might refer actually to the size of the fetus when it was exposed. So as one can see, all those uh, similes that uh, uh, at first glance don't, do not make sense at all can actually be explained, some of them can actually be explained through the Mesopotamian culture. And, uh, well, I also have a theory that some sequences here actually refer to uh, the, the way they understood uh, the primary stages of life. But, well, this is uh, a longer story, so if ever you have questions afterwards, we can come back on this. But I will, uh, I will go on. This is almost another topic. So, but this this sequence is actually more logical and more meaningful than uh, than we can first uh, uh, think or believe. But what matters the most for our purpose today is that the whole subsection deals with uh, miscarriages, so that all the apodoses, according to the pattern I suggested in the introduction, should bear upon the king, the city, or the land. Well, it is unfortunately not the case, not the case of course, I should say. Uh, nonetheless, out of 25 omens, 12, 27 if we count the neo-Assyrian ones, 17 bear upon the king and the country, which is, as one can see, a great majority once again, while only seven bear upon the family and one bears upon both fears. Uh, unfortunately, I could not think of any satisfactory explanation for those uh, exceptions once again. Uh, so also there is uh, one of them is an interesting uh, omen, uh, as it is one of the rare that mentions the mother, it is the omen uh, 39. And this is to announce death. And actually, I wonder here if the situation of this omen is not different, a little bit different, as it would be almost a kind of diagnosis. If she gives birth, because the omen is there, if she gives birth to this vein covered with hair, which, is, which could actually be identified with a, quite a horrible miscarriage product. Uh, and so maybe here, this is a kind of thing that can really happen. And this, is, uh, uh, this would be a kind of diagnosis. And if she gives birth to that, then she will die. Uh, so... So here, what, would, what I would recall for our pattern is that out of a total of 39 omens, eight of them appear as exceptions to the patterns I suggested in introductions. 
Now, there is this uh, transitional uh, uh, small section, which is uh, on 49, 44 to 49, and this uh, obviously referred to, uh, to uh, steel birth. Uh, Omen 44 for this is quite uh, interesting because as you can see if it is if a woman gives birth to matted hair and here again for us it has nothing to do with the, uh, a pregnancy carried to full term but if we turn to the Mesopotamian cultures and this was a, a suggestion uh, uh, an interpretation suggested by uh, Martin Stoll and I think it is interesting uh, it was uh, that Malu actually refers you know the context, the word that is used here for matted hair, also refers to the context to be plenty, to be full. And it actually describes the end of the pregnancy. So maybe here we have a, a, a word that is employed for both these meanings to mean that it is the end of the, uh, the pregnancy and that we are going to do stillbirth. Still so that would be the transition uh, with the next sections. So then we have Omen 44, 5, and 6 that refers to uh, Isboom. The title of the series, Isboom is the monster. So here, the, these are the only ones for uh, uh, a human birth. And uh, this one would, could refer to a fetus expelled before the term of pregnancy, but whose shape is human, so at the very end uh, of uh, the pregnancy. Uh, omens 47 and 48 are interesting because they seemingly refer to phantom pregnancy uh, as a woman is giving birth to air. And what is interesting here is that the consequences of both omens are absolutely disastrous. And uh, the, they affect all spheres. And uh, um, first it seems that uh, the, these omens. Uh, no, this is sorry. Uh, I'm just thinking that this uh, this is uh, uh, a, a detail. But the the list of consequences here uh, the, of this omen could indicate that uh, it was uh, repeated several times in uh, older traditions because uh, this is you. Usually, uh, the way the Venetory series are uh, composed, they use several different traditions, and when we have an omen with uh, several consequences, usually that means that uh, they, were, they are coming from different traditions, so this could be the case here. So here we can see that the consequences impact on both the country and the household, and it is interesting uh, and to, to see that only the scribe from Uruk actually recalled the private sphere. Uh, and there is a mention of a mother and daughter, which uh, probably not referring here to the private sphere, but rather to the whole country. Uh, but the use of both words remain exceptional. And uh, thus a phantom or false pregnancy would be regarded as even more severe than a miscarriage. It would be as if uh, it would be a complete upheaval of the right order, and it touches even the relationship between mothers and daughters. That is at the heart, of course, of uh, reproduction. Uh, so the, the fact... Uh, the, the, the fact that a woman and her intimate circle could be mistaken about such an obvious state, the pregnancy, or even worse, feign it, uh, appears as something that is totally improbable and especially not understandable. 
And finally, the, uh, the last omen, 49, uh, is a woman giving birth, giving birth to a corpse. So here, I would say that it is uh, the uh, very obvious uh, allusion to uh, uh, a stillbirth, a, a stillbirth, uh, a stillborn children. And of course, here, uh, as expected, the consequences bear upon the king and the country. So now, about the, the fourth section is uh, especially interesting for uh, a comparative point of view. So sorry, yes. Because in the fourth section, we have uh, the birth and uh, 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 some disabled child, and not only miscarriages. So if they are leaving, then that means that according to the pattern I suggested, the consequences should bear upon the, uh, the, the, the family and the household, and not the king. So the fact is that we have here in the whole section, we have nine omens dealing with the king and the country, 18 dealing with the household sphere, and three mentioning both spheres. Uh, so uh, we find in these sections the three omens as well that deal with the very close family sphere. One with the father and the brothers of the bone monsters, the one I, I uh, quoted before, and two with the mother. So clearly the great majority of cases mentioned in this section concerns, uh, concerns the fate of the family. I counted only four exceptions to the pattern I suggested in the introduction and one omen that is totally unexpected. Uh, so, Omen uh, 51 to 55 first uh, mentioned disabled children but seemingly viable ones. So actually, this is not the one. Um, so, this, uh, these are the. Uh, here we have an E and she idiots. We have dwarf boy or girl. We have a she and he weakling. And uh, uh, here, actually all of them bear upon uh, the family. So this short section is actually one of the, uh, uh, the, the best example of the pattern I, I suggested. Uh, so the situation becomes more complicated with uh, the omens uh, 50 to, uh, 56 to uh, 82 uh, because here uh, we have some we, we are faced with some problems sometimes with the uh, interpretation and the translation of the terms because it's not always obvious to recognize what kind of disabilities it refers to. So first we have in the section, in this section, uh, I, I just uh, very subjectively uh, classify the omens from there in three different groups. Uh, the ones that are clearly identified and the ones that, are, that raises problems of uh, interpretation and the ones that are completely obscure, well, to me at least, so if ever somebody had ideas. Uh, so the ones that are clearly identified are the deaf, uh, the blind, the squinting, uh, and uh, the, uh, the albino. Uh, from this, out of these omen, only uh, one apodosis deal uh, with uh, the, the king and the land. The three others deal with the, the family. Uh, and then, if we take the next group, these are uh, words 
that are actually more difficult to uh, uh, to to translate, usually because uh, we don't have them in many different uh, contexts. Some of them are actually mentioned only in the Shuma Isbu series, so that it makes it difficult to better understand them. Uh, but usually, apart from uh, Rushulu and Rubushu, for which I had no uh, clear uh, um, uh, translation, the others are, as you can see here. For Rushulu and Rubushu, yet, there are two things that uh, things to be important is that, as is the case for uh, all these words, except the last one, Musuku, all these words are also used as uh, proper nouns. So, which could mean that actually this kind of disability may be very bad or very serious, but uh, is not necessarily uh, uh, a mortal uh, one that the, the child could survive. And uh, so this is for what I think is here uh, the, the most important. And also we have here uh, things that could be uh, children disease uh, well it's uh, it is difficult to enter in all the translation I see that I don't have much time left so if you have questions you can uh, you can ask after uh, but what is important for us here is always our pattern and here it has how it works that uh, you have so the the one the colorful one are the one that uh, follow the patterns, and yes, the mother here is not very clear uh, because we have this uh, very uh, strange omen where when she the woman in 767 is giving birth to uh, to a shehanu, which is so. Does it mean a kind of epilepsy? A shehanu normally is uh, an ecstatic. So uh, and so, when she's giving birth to this uh, Shehanu, then it is because she had sex uh, with uh, the one who committed sin in the street. So she committed herself at adultery. So that it is the only woman that uh, considers that the woman that put the blame that puts the blame actually on the woman for a miscarriage or the birth of a disabled child. So this is, but this is the only situation like this. So, but it is, it is uh, quite uh, interesting to, to see it. So as one can see, well, the pattern doesn't work perfectly, but still, we still have uh, uh, a ratio between uh, the majority of cases and the minority of cases. Uh, and finally, here are well all the uh, the, the the expression from this section that I which we which shows I'm really not sure uh, what to do uh, because I don't understand them all very clearly. Uh, neither what they are doing here. Uh, the Tigrilu, the last one, is quite interesting because as you can see here, the apodosis of the Tigrilu for the Tigrilu are very long ones. Uh, very long ones in the description of the Tigrilu itself, which is very exceptional in the uh, series for this period. And uh, the Tigrilu is actually mentioned only there. This is an apex. 
So it's kind of uh, uh, also very strange. And as for the pattern I suggested, here is uh, how it uh, works for those apodoses. Well, they are obviously all of them non-viable births, so this is why I consider them all together here. And, uh, and here again, some of them can be explained thanks to the Mesopotamian cultural background, of course, just like the image of Hubaba. Uh, and so here again, we have on those old Romans, we have only three uh, exceptions, I would say, to the uh, pattern I, uh, I suggest. Um, so here, I guess, I will, uh, uh, I will go to the, uh, the conclusion now. Um, so the, um, um, the apodosis uh, of the, the series Humarispo was too vague to, to tell us uh, much uh, or to be precisely um, or to tell us precisely how a miscarriage uh, was perceived by the community or the family. Uh, and it certainly does not tell us anything about the mother's feeling that is that does not come as a surprise as this was most probably secondary as is the case in most traditional societies. Uh, but uh, what apodosis do tell us uh, uh, or give clues about is, uh, in my opinion, in how such an event uh, was received and what was its significance for was uh, for what was its, its significance for the community or for the family. Uh, from this point of view, it seems to impact more on the community than the family. Uh, despite the few exceptions uh, I mentioned, uh, the pattern I suggested in the introduction is, I think. Uh, not perfect, but satisfactory for tablet one, especially when considering the reversal of the distribution of private public spheres between the, the first and uh, the second and the fourth sections of tablet one. And I recall you that uh, on section two, there was uh, 32 out of 42 omens that deal that bear upon the kings and the country. And on the section four, there were nine omens only on 32 out of 32 that deal with the king and the country. Uh, so, of course, uh, we need to find an explanation for such a distribution. Uh, that is, why would a miscarriage affect, or the birth of a very disabled child and so on, would affect the whole community? Uh, it is uh, difficult to find answers in the Mesopotamian sources, uh, as the problem is not often mentioned, but this is also quite the same in most societies, miscarriages and are not a problem that are often mentioned or often studied and so on. Uh, but um, uh, I found, even if it's difficult to, to, to find ideas in the Mesopotamian studies, I found some interesting uh, ideas and uh, questions and remarks in the, some anthropological studies and uh, that I believe that may be applied to the Mesopotamian studies given uh, the few evidences give, provided by the Tablet One. Uh, that is, in uh, some uh, traditional societies, miscarriage is seen as a disruption of a linear reproduction, not only of the family, but especially for the society. It's, it is upheaval a, a a of the societies. Uh, in some societies, miscarriage is, uh, is, seem, is seen as an evidence of uh, social conflicts, so that it affects, uh, it reflects tension 
tensions in the city, uh, for instance. And this, of course, raises the case, the, the question of the, uh, the cause of a miscarriage. Um, and Chuma Izbu uh, doesn't answer this question, of course, except in the, uh, this very moment when the, the woman is blamed for the birth of a sick child. Of a sick uh, child. Um, so, by contrast, the miscarriage does not seem meaningful for the, the family's lineage in the Mesopotamian society, according to what I, I told you about uh, this uh, omen that uh, uh, means with the, uh, that deals with the, the ancestorship. Uh, and um, and this is also this omen about the ancestorship, this is something I didn't tell you, is that it is uh, related with the birth of twins, so that it is actually also totally different. So this is uh, the birth of twins, multiple births, as I, as I said, the very last section, very long section of this tablet. But uh, it seems to follow a complete different pattern. And uh, as we just briefly said uh, just before the, this talk, that uh, actually the, uh, the, 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 the birth of twins or several children is seen as something monstrous in itself, according, for instance, to uh, Greek uh, uh, Greek writings. This is what I, I saw very recently. So that they followed a completely different pattern. And so I think it's interesting that actually the only one that mentioned, the only omen that mentioned the ancestorship and problem of lineage and so on, is actually an apodosis related with uh, twin, uh, the birth of twins. Both. So yes, in conclusion, I would say that. Here we can see that uh, miscarriage do not uh, occur solely in a family, but uh, also in a society from this tablet. Thank you very much for your attention.